0: Thank You Worship team. That is one of my favorite songs. I love it. I love it when we get to the end, and it says, "Rock of Ages, It is done. You cried." And that is what we are here to celebrate today. the finished work of Jesus Christ it 's a glorious thing. Thank you for joining us today as we worship. So if you haven 't met me um, There are probably a few of you that haven't. I am Jason Averill. I'm the assistant pastor here at Grace. Pastor Ryan has been away at a pastor's retreat in Colorado. So I'm preaching today and he'll be back in the pulpit next week. And we've been going through for the fall a short series. Well, it's not a super short series, but a series on the life of Joseph. And so Ryan last week went over... Genesis chapter 40, that's Joseph and in prison when he interprets the dreams of Pharaoh's servants, and today we'll be looking at Genesis chapter 41, that's Joseph in Pharaoh's throne room interpreting his dreams. So, let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Father. Father. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that you have seen fit to give us a day to worship you because you know that worshiping you is where we truly find life and you want to give us life, Lord. Thank you for calling us here today. We pray as we turn to your word that you use Use your words to change our hearts, to give us comfort, to give us peace. Ultimately, Lord, we ask that you use this time to make Jesus more beautiful to us. let him let us see him more clearly. Holy Spirit, we do pray that you be present in this worship service that as I preach that you help me open the text to people, to your people, and that you open everyone's hearts to hear the great truths in in this text. Jesus, we praise you, Lord. We praise you for your finished work, for shouting from the cross, that it is finished. Help us this day to believe that more fully, more powerfully. Amen. So like I said, we've been going through the life of Joseph, and just to kind of catch you up and uh, remind you of where we are, Joseph, we started out in Genesis chapter 37, and Joseph was 17. Okay, and so his, his father, Jacob, has just put him as an overseer over his brothers. And he, he tells Joseph, go out, manage your brothers as they're managing the herds. He recognizes that Joseph has a pretty, uh, pretty good administrative gift, that he's able to do this. And Joseph's brothers hate him for that. And to complicate matters, Joseph's brothers also hate him for some dreams that he had. Joseph had two dreams in which his brothers bowed down to him. And so his brothers plotted to get rid of him. And ultimately, instead of killing him, they decided to sell him as a slave. And he went to Egypt. And he was bought by a guy named Potiphar. Potiphar was the captain of the guard, the captain of Pharaoh's guard. So a fairly important... Important official. And pretty soon after Joseph was in Potiphar's house, Potiphar recognized that Joseph had a gift of administration. And so he put him in charge of his entire house. And we don't know how long Joseph was kind of running Potiphar's house. But eventually he runs afoul with Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife makes advances to him. He declines them because he is a man of God and will not do that. And so she makes a false accusation. He ends up in prison. And while he's in prison, the guy who's running the prison recognizes that Joseph has a gift of administration. And so he puts him in charge of the entirety of the prison. And so pretty soon, Joseph is running the entire thing. And that's where we came in last week. Joseph is in prison, and the cupbearer of Pharaoh and his chief baker come into prison. They have these disturbing dreams, and Joseph interprets them to them. And he has one request of the cupbearer, please remember me when you're restored to his position, your position. And the cupbearer doesn't make good on that for two years And that's that's where we come into the story today. Now, hearing that and just brief synopsis of Joseph's life, what do you think he's thinking? What do you think he's feeling right here as we're about to dive into the text? You think he's maybe asking, why is this happening? I think, I think that's a fair assumption that we can make. That he is indeed asking, crying out, Why? I've been faithful, Lord. I know that you're with me. Why am I suffering so much? I find myself asking that same question sometimes. You know, whenever I'm going through a particular long period of trial or a particularly intense. Period of suffering, I ask that same question, why, Lord, is this happening? I think that's probably just natural. That's how we are. So that's what's being addressed in the text today. So let's, I'm going to read the text. Usually I like to stand while we read, but this is a really long text, so I'm not going to do that to you. Um, Also, I'm not going to read it in its entirety because there are some parts that are duplicated. So, I'm just going to kind of briefly summarize parts of it. So, Genesis chapter 41. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed. And then skip down to verse 8. So, in the morning, his spirit was troubled. And he sent and he called for all the magicians of Egypt and all of its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. And he proceeded to tell Pharaoh about Joseph. And we skip down to verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph And they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and there's no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them. For they were still as ugly as at the beginning. And then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered thin and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout the land of Egypt. But after them will arise seven years of famine. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land. And the plenty will be unknown in the land. By reason of the famine that will follow. For it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams. Means that the thing is fixed by God. And God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore. Let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food for these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food for the cities and let them keep it. For food, that food shall be a reserve For the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt. So that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's word, all men are like grass, and all their glories are like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. So let us turn our attention to it. So today we're, we'll be looking at three things from the text. We'll be looking at how God was working in Joseph, how God was working through Joseph, and then finally, how God is working in and through us. How God is working... In Joseph, through Joseph, in and through us. So how is God working through Joseph? Uh, sorry, how was God working in Joseph here? Um, time in the Bible is kind of a funny thing. We don't really notice its passing. We don't we don't notice, you know, say that 13 years have passed since. Joseph has been sold into slavery. But we're actually told later on in the chapter that Joseph, when he went into Pharaoh's throne room, he was 30 years old. That means since his brothers sold him into slavery, it had been 13 years. It had been two years since he had given the interpretation of the dream to the cupbearer. And the text here says two whole years. Actually, if you go into the Hebrew, it's much more explicit. It says two years of days. That's every day was counted and passing. That they didn't blur together. And Ryan last week made the point that God's timing often seems slow to us. And then he played this this, uh, what-if game. You know, what if, you know, Joseph had been remembered by the cupbearer? What would have happened? Well, we can play a similar kind of game here. So let's look at the 13 years that Joseph was in Egypt here. We could ask... Like I said, why wasn't Joseph before Pharaoh much, much sooner? Why did it take 13 years? So, if we chart out Joseph's life kind of like we did at the beginning, at 17, he was recognized as having a gift of administration, and he's put over his brothers to manage them. Then he's sold to Potiphar, and he takes charge of his household. Now, running a household is much bigger of a thing than managing a small group of shepherds. You know, there are servants, there are children, there's all the food, there's the grounds that have to be taken care of. It's a much bigger job. And we don't know how long he was in Potiphar's household, but we do know at some point after he was well-known by everybody, and well-liked by Potiphar's wife that he was thrown into prison. And then he was set to manage the prison. Which, if you can imagine, the the prison and its management is actually quite a bit bigger than a household. It's a much bigger ordeal. And so we have in Joseph's life these kind of spheres of administrative skill that are growing growing. And so to answer the question, what would have looked like if Joseph had been put before Pharaoh when he was 17 or even 19 or 20. It would look kind of like today if you took a ranch hand that was fairly young and put him in charge of the Department of Agriculture. Okay, it just it wouldn't work and yes god could make it work god could empower joseph directly supernaturally but that's not how god usually works god usually works in the slow way through means he develops joseph and his administrative skill throughout those 13 years god wanted a manager that would be in charge of egypt To save Egypt and his people. And so God used. All of the things that happened to Joseph. To craft that manager. That's hard for us to. To wrap our heads around sometimes. But I think it's it's very important. That we realize that. All of the trials and sufferings that we go to do. Shape us. And they shape us. In the way that God wants us shaped for his purposes. So how is God working through Joseph in the passage? So 13 years of preparation. 13 years of being a manager of an increasing, increasingly large organization. And his time has finally come. You know, I can imagine that as all of this is going down, that there's kind of a stir in the city. You think that? You think if Pharaoh has some dreams and he calls for all of the magicians and all of the wise men of Egypt to come and interpret them and they can't do it, don't you think that would create a little bit of a stir? I think it would. And I think that Joseph probably would have heard about it. And he would have started having that glimmer of hope again. Maybe Pharaoh's going to come and get me. And so the morning passes. Eventually, servants do. They, they go and they get Joseph and they say, Joseph, you're called to Pharaoh. You need to get ready. And so he goes and he shaves himself. He changes his clothes. He makes himself presentable to be in front of Pharaoh. And then he gets in front of Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, listen, I have these dreams. Nobody can interpret them. Can you help me? And Pharaoh tells him his dream. And all of a sudden, time kind of slows down a little bit. And the penny drops. And Joseph understands what God is doing. What God has been doing for the past 13 years. He understands, finally understands. That God is using him to save Egypt. And probably he can kind of extrapolate that out. And say God is using me. To save my family. Not only that. But we know if we read farther in, the, in Genesis. That God isn't just using Joseph to save his family. God is using Joseph to bring his brothers to repentance. To restore the relationship that he has with them. To mend the family back together. To forge a people that would become 12 tribes of Israel united. And ultimately a kingdom. Out of which our savior would come. That's what God was doing through Joseph. And he didn't know all of that. He just knew a little bit of it. So... So what? That's always the question. So what? Good story. I'm not sure how this helps me, Jason. I think it does. I think this gives us two powerful lenses through which we can look at our own lives. And the first is to look at what God is doing in us. We look at our lives and we discover more about the person That God is making us to be. That God has already made us to be. Knowing God's MO. Is to use means to bring about. His will in the world. We can ask what God is doing. What is God doing in me. And what has God done in me so far. I think this is a question that's. Far too often left unasked. We simply don't think to ask it, or even if we do, we brush past it too quickly. God, I, I know you're doing something in me, but, you know, maybe you're just using it to, you know, craft a more patient person, or maybe you're just using it to tame my anger, and which may be, both may be true, but, you know, you're not actually delving into the substance Of how God is shaping you through the trials that he's putting you through. God's work is slow. It's always purposeful though. The answers to that question are going to be as varied as the people here. Everybody's going to have a different answer to how God is working in them. The second question. How is God working through us? So we're maybe perhaps... How is God ministering to the world through us? How is God ministering to his church through us? It's a hard question to answer, and it's for a lot of reasons, one of which is that kind of the farther out we get from ourselves, the harder it is to see how we're connected to the whole. Does that make sense at all? That the farther down we look at down the pipe, the less we know how we're actually going to affect everybody. So Joseph, when he's looking at what God is doing through him, he's seeing that God is saving Egypt and saving his family, but he's not seeing at all that God is going to bring Jesus, the Savior, through his family's line some 1,800 years later. We can't know all of the ways that God is intending to use us, Perhaps a better question than would be, how has God used me? How has God worked through me, ministered through me so far in this life? That's a very good question. Again, the answers are as varied as the people here. If you're a homeschool mom... God works through you in ministering to your children and teaching them about Jesus. And if you are a working mom, God ministers through you by caring for your family and teaching your kids about Jesus. If you are a college student, God is using you to minister to his family, your friends, college students. Many, many different answers. But there's a problem, though. Many times, the answers to these questions aren't obvious to us. Many times, even, we struggle whenever we just ask God for answers, period, because he seems so silent. You know, God didn't, we're not told anyway that God ever gave Joseph any answers when he was asking why for 13 years. No, he kept on asking. And God was silent. How then, when we're faced with such a long time of trying to make sense of God's work through us, in us, how is it that we can have enough faith to actually keep asking How can you have enough faith to keep asking when the answers don't seem to come? And we can look at another suffering servant here. So many people, they look at Joseph and they see a picture, somewhat, of what Jesus is going to be. You know, Jesus was the servant that suffered without complaining. He was the savior of his people and indeed the savior of the world. Jesus himself ministered to nobody for 30 years. His public ministry started at about age 30 and then it went on for three years and it culminated in three days where he accomplished the work that was set out before him by dying for all of our sins, by being buried, and by being raised to new not life, so that he could raise us to new life. And with that, I think, I think maybe, you know, we've talked about what God has been doing in you, we've talked about looking at what God is doing through you, but there's one key component here that we haven't really talked about, and I wonder if you, if you missed it if you, or if you know what it is, it's what has God been doing for you? How has God been sustaining you? And we see this here in the tale with Joseph, you know, there's a phrase that was repeated over and over in this story. And it's repeated again on the lips of Pharaoh here in verse 38. And Pharaoh says, he said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? God was with Joseph. That's the refrain throughout the entire chapters, the entire story of his life. That's the refrain. God is with Joseph. God is with Joseph. God is with Joseph. And so how is the Lord working for you? So, what has he done for you? Well, Christian, we know that he has saved you. He saved you from his sin. He saved you from his wrath. He's adopted you into his family. He's breathed upon you. His Holy Spirit who dwells with you and goes with you as you go through your trials. As you think about this, you can also remember what he's promised to do in you. He's promised to sanctify you and to conform you into the image of his son. And as you meditate on that, as you reflect on that, that gospel truth as it applies to you particularly... You'll, ha- you'll automatically just have patience and comforts in the waiting, because you will know that God is for you. And if God is for me, who can be? Who can be against me? Nobody. with confidence, with that confidence, with the gospel as our foundation, with Jesus as our cornerstone of faith, those two first questions become easier to answer but I think they also become a little bit less important. What do I mean by that? You see, when I try to answer these questions myself, and I haven't rooted myself in the gospel, I haven't started with a proper grounding, a proper foundation, in that I am a beloved son in God's house, of whom Jesus is not ashamed, then I'm just led to more why. But when I start with a proper foundation, I'm not. When I don't start with that foundation, what I really seem to be asking is, God, will you prove yourself trustworthy? Whereas, if I start with my identity rooted in the gospel, my tone changes, my purpose changes I pray, Lord, I know that I am your beloved son and I trust you. This past year, this past trial, it's been really hard, but I know that you are using it to shape me in some particular way. Will you reveal that to me, Lord? And if the Lord chooses to, that's a joy and it helps me go on. And if he chooses not to, that's okay. I'm not destroyed because I'm not basing my trust on the Lord from his answer to that. I'm basing my trust in him on what he's already done for me. So as you go about this week, I would encourage you, think about that. Think about how the gospel applies to your life. Think about how... It is that God is working in you and through you, but more and more meditate on what God has done for you and use that as your motivation for prayer. Use that as your motivation for going to him just in thanksgiving, raising him up as the great and glorious Savior that he is. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we know that you are the sovereign ruler of the universe. We know, Lord, that you have organized everything in meticulous detail. All of our days, you say, are written in your book before any of them have come to pass. We know that, Lord. We do ask that you use that knowledge in us to have great confidence in you because of your past record, because of what you have done for us in Jesus, our great Savior, because you did not leave us alone in our sin and misery, but instead, but instead decided that you wanted to claim us as your family, that you would let that empower a deeper trust in you. That you would use all of the trials that we have gone through to shape us into exactly who you want to be, you want us to be. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that oh so willingly you came for us, died for us, rose for us. All so that you might claim us as brothers and sisters in your kingdom. Holy Spirit, we thank you for binding to us, to our great Savior. We pray, Lord, that you open our eyes further to his beauty, to his majesty, and help us dwell on that, Use that, Lord, as we go forth from this room and throughout our weeks to empower us into your service and your ministry, faithful stewards of everything that you have given us. Amen.